If you want me to remember it, the Holy Spirit, let me remember it. So wait, we will. So we will not podcast on Monday, correct? We'll just do it on Tuesday. Oh yeah, I guess so. Drop that'll it make like it. It's hot. That'll make nice. the editing a little bit more problematic, but whatevs. Oh, but, uh, uh, I it. Uh. <laughs> Let's cast. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Well, I had this on Friday. I was I was home and uh, my dad's grocery store had uh, like a once a year meat sale, um, which was awesome, and it went really well. You guys well, only sell meat once a year? No, it's the annual meat sale, dude. These prices were hot. Ah. And, okay, <laughs> and uh, anyway, it actually did go really well. There's a ton of people went really good sales day, blah blah. blah. But <clears throat> the supplier for the store, uh, when we do this sale, it's like I don't even know. We order like. 10 times the amount of meat we usually do or something like that. Um, and so they send uh, one of like the retail counselors to help and then also they send a meat cutter to help for like two days prepare and then do the actual sale. So this guy that came in, my dad knows him a little bit from meat sales in the past and he was just a good dude, kind of a good old boy from, I think he was born in Tennessee, raised in Kentucky, um, kind of in the sticks and real simple guy, but found out my dad had told him about me and, 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 blah, blah. and this guy was a Baptist and he does does a little bit of preaching, all this. Um, but what was really cool about it That's is... That's funny I, that he's just like, yeah, I'm a meat cutter, but you know, I do a little preaching on the side, of course. It is. It is. It's very funny, actually. <laughs> it's very funny. And, uh, and so he would just, I don't know, he just kind of took me back a couple of times in a really cool way. Of you know, because we were back there talking like NCAA basketball tournament, like politics, whatever, and it was super busy. So it was like keeping us very busy, and it was going well talking about that. And if there was a little lull or whatever, I'd be doing something, and he'd be cutting some meat. He just asked me questions. Like at one point, he asked me like, "Well, who's your favorite character in the Bible?" You know, and it wasn't like antagonistic at all. It was just like very genuine conversation he's just very very cool guy um and i was just very edified like by these conversations that him and i had and they were just a few minutes you know someone would want an order then or something like that um and this guy was just a he was just a jesus fan man like kind of at the end of the day that's that's what i would classify him as and it was just this cool reflection that i've had that uh Certainly when I'm around other Catholics, especially like people that grew up Catholic, like we very much do have uh, a common language, you know, and, and you kind of do, at least for me, oftentimes, you know what they're saying, even if it isn't super articulate or whatever. And um, I mean, very basically, this would look like, you know, um, as simple as, like, you know, if you hear someone say St. Augustine as opposed to Augustine, you know, or Paul the Apostle versus St. Paul, 
you kind of know if they're Catholic or not. But I found that amongst my friends and, and just people in that, that even if they're not Catholic, like if they're just like friends of Jesus, man, those people, no matter what their background or age or whatever, are just like super life-giving to be around. Um, and so I don't know. It was just, it was just kind of, it just really struck me, even, even with this Holy Week. Uh, being being Holy Week and, and talking a lot about a lot about the cross and how we let that transform our lives, how we actually experience the resurrection today. Like just some of my most profound encounters with that have been from people that I would just just simply call friends of Jesus. And Catholics fall into this category as well. Um so I don't even know where I was going with it, but it was just like it was a big movement in my heart from the week. I figured I'd throw throw out there if you guys even know what I'm talking about. I definitely, I definitely know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, no, we've talked about it before. Like you just meet, yeah, whether it's Protestant or Catholic, it's kind of the same in a lot, a lot of the ways it looks the same. You identify that, yeah, you have a common friend in this person. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh yeah, we both have the same best bud, Jesus, which I have to say like the, the song, Jesus is a friend of mine. <laughs> It's running through my head right now, mm-hmm. but it is true when you meet somebody who, yeah, you you kind of know like, oh, this person knows the same guy that I know, you know, oh, this person knows Jesus, and that that goes through, to, crosses denominational borders, even, um, yeah, and they are incredibly delightful people. They always are, and especially growing up in Georgia, <laughs> we have a fair number. Uh, you know, you mentioned like, oh, that's funny. He's a meat cutter. And then like on the side, he does some preaching in our neighborhood. It's well, like the back road that you take to get to our neighborhood. We have at least one house that the owner just converted into like a side Sunday church. And so on Sunday, he just has church there and people come over and he preaches to him, but it's his house, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's like totally a different I mean, it's a very different culture, I'd say, to it. But, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely know what you mean. I wish I could say more to it, but I think you hit it with, um, yeah, they just do. They give you a lot of life. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, my reflection, I don't, you know, I remember the first time I ever heard of somebody not being Catholic um, was in grade school. And... Somehow it came up, I was probably in second, maybe third grade, and somehow religion came up, and um, I honestly, I had no idea that people had different religions. I thought there was just the one, and uh, somebody said, I remember this kid, he was a friend of mine for a while in school, said, yeah, you know, you can be a lot of different things, like a Presbyterian. And I was like, I, I remember laughing out loud. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> what the heck does that word mean? <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> You've never been PC, have you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, honestly, you I didn't. haven't changed at all. I knew I was Catholic, but I didn't know that there were other things. Um, no, I know what you mean. So growing up maybe in Chicago in the outlying suburbs, I, you know, once I was awakened to that fact, I did know that there were a lot of people that weren't Catholic. There were a lot of Jewish people, fair number of Protestants, but most people in Chicago 
are Catholic. I don't, I don't know about most, but certainly a humongous number of people oh, uh, sure. are Catholic. So what did you just drop? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Keep talking. Uh, so a lot of my impressions of Protestantism are from the outside looking in. Uh, and certainly like in college where you up against the campus crusades and the university Christian fellowship and a lot of that, those kind of evangelical groups yeah. focus <clears throat> fellowship of Catholic university students in a lot of ways. It sounds like Curtis Martin started it as a response to those movements to have sure. a Catholic voice on campus because they do so much. And, and I heard stories of Catholics going to these university Bible studies and, you know, depending on who is leading the study, um, it was either Calvinist or, or whatever, then especially the Calvinists who are sort of, I think, Baptist. That's my impression that Baptists yeah. follow a lot yeah, more Calvinist uh, soteriology. Um, basically spent, I was talking to one girl, she was in a, a Bible study and this, these people spent most of their time uh, just showing how St. Paul was, uh, I don't know, basically directly talking about how the Catholic Church was the spawn of Satan. And until everybody understood that, they weren't going to stop talking about it. And so they were just like, all right, even though they were Protestant at the time. I know it was a guy. I remember who it was now. He was like, yeah, this isn't very interesting. Uh, and he ended up becoming a Catholic. But um, so there, when I was in college, there was a lot of that sort of back and forth of like Protestants, blah, you know, they're so wrong. And why don't they believe in the sacraments and the church and apostolic succession and the Bible's not in the Bible, you know, how is that, you know, the, the classic, like, where is that in the Bible mm -hmm. for Mary's assumption and all this different stuff for the Pope? And you're like, where's the Bible in the Bible? Where did Jesus ever say, unless you read my Bible, you will have no life within you. Right. Um, but he did say, unless you eat my blood or eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. So a lot of that is antagonistic. So I, I think that I, I see what you're saying. But uh, I, it was it's funny because I've kind of having the opposite feeling lately. Yeah. Uh, because writing this um, little ebook situation about uh, making disciples of Jesus, I'm writing this chapter about who is Jesus. And after the identity of uh, God and man, I'm going after how does Jesus save us? And the first thing I beat up on it, which I felt kind of like I should go back over that and make it less uh, adversarial was vicarious penal substitution that because God is just, he had to punish our sins. Jesus suffered that punishment for us on the cross so that we could not, that we would not have to suffer it ourselves, which is Luther, Calvin, and the rest. Their whole theory is that it's faith alone. You just assent to God's punishing of Jesus instead of us. And that's how you're saved. You're never really going to get out of sin. You're a sinner to the core. You're wretched, totally depraved, but good for you. Jesus suffered in our place, um, and we get to enjoy that so long as we believe in it. Yeah. And uh, to me, that the reason I go after it is because so many Catholics say true when I put that as a true or false question, because God is just, he had to punish our sins. Mm -hmm. Jesus suffered that punishment for us on the cross that we would not have to suffer it ourselves. Sure. Every Catholic that I've ever given that question to, whether RCIA or seventh grade or whoever, always yeah. says true. Right. And uh, it's not true. And there's two reasons why I think it's so important f 
for us to know that it's not true is one, it makes God sound like an angry stepfather who's really unpredictable and you don't want to be around. Uh, because it's like the analogy I used is the, the father says to the son, unless you come back on time, you're grounded. And then when he breaks curfew, he doesn't have the heart to follow through with his threat. So he punishes his perfectly behaved daughter instead. Mm-hmm. And the son's like, oh, great. Grateful to the father, but would have trouble looking the sister in the eye. You know, this whole, the whole thing seems kind of uncomfortable and like a legal fiction shell game. But the second reason is that there's no, uh, there's no obvious path of transformation. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to go to church on Sunday if all I have to do is believe that Jesus saved me in order to yeah. be saved? Yeah. And this is the thing, like Johann Otto Müller that I read in the trans- Müller. Müller that I read in the it's Müller Reformation class. He just like goes after this, like yeah. you think that the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation is for him to just like work out some kind of legal fiction in his own invented system and like like an escape hatch or get out of jail free card and then he's just gonna for all eternity pretend that we're not sinners yeah that's crazy well and so let me finish this thought real quick so the the solidarity argument to me seems like a much more catholic way of understanding it that he's he shared in our humanity so that we could share in his divinity and through all the sacraments, the Paschal Mystery, the, our entry through baptism uh, into solidarity with Christ, the Eucharist, which is God's own lifeblood and flesh and body that becomes one with us so that we can become one with him. It's a transformation from the inside out. It's not a covering over of who we really are, which is a hill of dung, bad sinner to the core. It's not just like wallpapering the rotten wall. It's transforming it from the inside out. And that's much more appealing. And God coming into the messiness and makes the cross make a lot more sense. But just last night, I was watching a movie with my uh, dad, this old, old movie called The Green Years. And uh, it's about a kid who's orphaned and he's from Ireland. uh, And his dad was Catholic, but his mom was Scottish Protestant. And both of them died, and he has to go live with his Scottish grandparents. And there are, there are these Protestants. And I, don't, I think the Scottish are Presbyterians. I, I don't know, maybe Episcopalians or whatever they're called, Anglicans. Um, but some Protestant form of Christianity, and they're like the most dour people. And they're cheapskates, and they like hate Catholics. And they're trying to feed him meat on Friday and like look down on his rosary and won't give him any money for his suit for his first communion and all this different stuff. And uh, his great grandpa is sort of this uh, irreverent drunk, but he really befriends the kid. And so he helps him uh, buy the suit for his first communion by stealing one of the dad's books (laughs) and selling it. and so he buys him this suit and he goes with him to the Catholic church for the first communion. And right after the church, all these Italians are crowded around the great grandpa who looks like Santa Claus. And they're like all trying to get him to come over for the, the first communion party. And then the next scene, it flashes to this big uh, dinner table in this kind of humble house with all these Italians sitting around with the two boys who just got their first communion and the grandpa's making a toast. And it's just like this big party. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, is this the 
is it all coming from this theory of vicarious penal substitution that we just have to assent to Christ's, you know, taking our place, taking the bullet of God's wrath for us. And our best way to say thank you is to just take as little satisfaction from life as possible. And that to me seems, and it's a total caricature. And I, I also hear what you're saying about this guy, because I've met Protestants who are just awesome people and really friends with Jesus. And, you know, the fact that, you know, they preach in their home and they have these like emerging uh, base communities of, of Christians who are on fire for their faith and want to spread it. We need to like imitate that and get some of that fire. But at the same time, like the end game just seems to me like, where are you get, where's the savor in it? Um, if you're not transformed from the inside out and you can't finally enjoy the things that God created in the way he wanted us to create, he, he wanted us to enjoy them then what's the point if we're just going to have, like, I remember somebody told me their Protestant uh, mother-in-law had a little sign on her desk that said, the only hell that I'll ever go to is the one I'm living in now. (laughs) And (laughs) I was just like, that is so depressing to see like the whole world is just this corrupt garbage place. And we're just waiting for the rapture for God to suck us off our shoes into the seventh heaven so that we can be away from all these terrible people who who don't believe yeah please do you know what i'm saying so this is this has been flying through my mind and just the fact that you brought that up is kind of funny no and it it is because i still i mean 100 percent hold to like this movement of heart that i had with this you know southern baptist preacher meat cutter you know that i was hanging out with on on friday but to me what you're talking about that in uh you know in a soteriology is just that and again i would this is my like biggest critique really of my whole catholic formation until i got to seminary was just the lack of understanding that we're saved in community or like how to articulate that Uh, i was talking about this with someone this morning is that we're saved as a family and to me, that's kind of like the grinding point of what you're talking about, Bisque. And I don't know if that's what necessarily what you were driving at, but um, I even remember like the first time, because um, a huge part of my conversion in college was hanging out with a group from Campus Crusade that I played on a softball team, a, a co-ed softball team with a group from Campus Crusade. And there was like two Catholics on the team. And they were the ones that started to attract me to Jesus. And very typical of that story you described, I think I went to one Campus Crusade Bible study, and I don't think this is indicative of all of them, but yeah, it was very much singled out as a Catholic, questioned, very antagonistic. And frankly, then I went back and it drove me to going to dive in to find some answer answers for my faith but made it very antagonistic even my own heart of like why can't you just see this why can't you see that the the church is right um etc but i remember uh very vividly one time the first time i was reading through teresa's last conversations and it, she's talking she's about to die and she's talking to one of her sisters, and her sister is very sad that she's going to die. 
And I think Therese said it jokingly, but serious enough that her sister wrote it down as part of her last conversations was that she she said a little prayer to Jesus. And she was I mean, it was as simple as, um, you know, Jesus, you have to I know I'm going to heaven and you have to say I think it was Celine. You have to save Celine that she will spend eternity there with me. And there's no compromises on that. And so it's like, if I'm coming, Celine is coming with me. And just that boldness, I had never, um, at least it clicked for me. I had never encountered it. And I've even reflected on that, like with my uh, little niece, my goddaughter. And just the realization of the responsibility that comes with being someone's godfather is that, you know, in a very real way, you, with their parents, you're responsible for um, their formation in the faith, their salvation. And I've had that reflection more and more of, man, you know, quote unquote, again, this is kind of a slippery slope to word it like this, but if I go to heaven someday and, um, you know, Caroline isn't there, there's an issue, not only of like me not taking care of that responsibility. But frankly, I don't know if I want to go without her. Um, but I think if you have a proper soteriology, you can talk in that boldness because it's it is a real transformation. So sorry to ramble. Does that make sense? Yeah, and uh, it reminds me of a, a f story I heard from a classmate of mine when he was in the seminary and going to the jail once yeah. a week, and. Um, he, you know, made friends with uh, quite a few guys in there, especially because he spoke Spanish and uh, a lot of the Hispanic guys didn't have many people they could talk to uh, from the outside. And he, you know, he was like working on getting some of these guys their sacraments and stuff like that, meeting with them once a week and and preparing them for confirmation and things like that. <clears throat> and the guy said something about the Protestant guys that come into the jail to visit who, you know, to their credit, they go visit um, the pastors, they go visit these guys who they have never met and aren't part of their community, but they go because Jesus said, visit me in prison. And it, but he said that um, you Catholics are the only ones that come back. And uh, the way my friend interpreted that was that these, uh, a lot of the Protestant pastors go in, again, to their credit, but basically to, quote, save people, you know, and once they get you to read their prayer and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, their work is done. You're saved because now you believe. Whereas the Catholic vision is, okay, you are my brother, and uh, unless you go to heaven with me, then our family's not complete, and I'm going to sit here and and be with you and make sure that you get it and we're, we're in this thing together you know like there's no separation between you and me we are members of the same body yeah and it's not just a matter of like collecting spiritual scalps like you're going around and and just like popping them off and like oh i got five people today to be saved you're like what does that even mean yeah. it's so nebulous nebulous but um the way that it's expressed both sacramentally in the Eucharist that uh, we are in communion with the saints in heaven, in purgatory, 
and here on earth, when you meet in the Eucharist. You know, I was just watching a video this morning <laughs> that uh, I wanted to watch last night, but I realized, like, if I if I go on YouTube now, it's going to be, I'm going to be up too late. The vortex. Dude, but I, I remembered a video that I'd seen a long time ago about Father Vincent Capadano. I'm sure yeah. you're aware of him. He was a, a Marine chaplain in Vietnam, and he was killed in action. And there was a video I found years ago of his brother, his older brother being interviewed for some uh, kind of army website or Marine website. And the guy's in like a, like a firefighter uniform or something like that. He's in his 80s, so he's retired. Um, but he's from New York and Italian. And just a humble old man sitting at his dining room table. And in the background is like a, a pencil drawing of his brother, uh, Father Vincent. And he refers to, even though he's his older brother by 10 years, he refers to his brother as Father Vincent. And he's talking about how um, I was born in 1919. Father Vincent was born in 1929. And I remember uh, taking Father Vincent down in the wagon to the picture show at the Empire Theater and blah, 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 and telling stories about when they were kids, but always referring to him, even the child brother, as Father Vincent. Mm. And, uh, and he says, there's not a day that goes by that I don't pray to him and pray for him, not only because he's my brother, uh, but he's listed as one of America's greatest men. And he, and he said the line that really strikes me, he goes, uh, he was one great brother, one great Marine, and a real priest. Mm. He talks about this guy who is from New Jersey who was in the war with uh, his brother. And the day he died, he was there on the, on the battlefield. And uh, they were getting shot at from the thicket, and they couldn't see where the enemy was. And there were guys all over the place wounded, lying down on the ground in foxholes. And Father Vincent was running from foxhole to foxhole, hearing confessions, anointing people. Um, and he said this guy from New Jersey was lying wounded in a foxhole and he's in pain and he's scared. And then out of nowhere, he feels a hand on his forehead and it's Father Vincent. And uh, he said for a moment, everything stopped like there was no war going on and everything was peace. And then he said, everything's going to be all right. You're going to be all right. And then he ran to the next guy. And that's when he got 27 bullet holes shot through him and died. And he said the whole core was just like it had been covered in a funeral shroud everybody was quiet uh because everybody loved this guy mm. and i thought to myself oh, you know that's that's catholicism man that this guy with his sacramental character acting in the person of christ is able to walk through a, a war zone and touch a person's forehead and for that person jesus is in the midst of the most hellish place on earth yeah. And he makes it into heaven. He makes it for that moment like it's okay because you're here. Mm. You know, that's solidarity. That's Jesus entering into the darkness with the light and bringing us out of the darkness. And that guy, his brother, prays to his brother every single day. And I know that guy goes to mass because he knows that in the mass he's with his brother. And that's what we believe that we're all together. All the time there's no separation between heaven and earth and the whole idea that we just have to get through this hell with as little pleasure as possible so that we prove to jesus that we uh, are grateful for him taking the bullet of god's anger is just it's annoying dude <laughs> now you're making me mad and i'm gonna stop talking <laughs> 
Yeah, dude. Well, I, I mean, I definitely know what you mean. And it's really tough to, I mean, we all know this, but to generalize Protestants like within one specific group because it, it is so, it's incredibly diverse. And I think like when you really look at it, kind of the same example with the Catholics when you give them this true false question, it's not Catholic teaching, but they, they don't maybe don't know how to articulate it properly. Um, and I think in the same way, if you pushed, if you push Protestants and in my experience, this has been true, except for the ones who really have studied like the doctrine, Calvin doctrine or Lutheran doctrine, people's experiences do not equate to like this idea of, um, Protestant soteriology where it's, that's not enough for people. And if you push them in their experiences, human beings desire the transformation, not just the blanket that's over them, but there's like that in and of itself leaves an emptiness within the the person that they know they're, they're not meant for, you know? So I, I think in a lot of ways it does a disservice to one, it does a disservice to the human being. So bad anthropology, which is kind of the, the starting point. But then again, that also points to bad theology about God because anything we're saying about the human being, we're also saying about God. But again, in my experience, like when I push the experiences of each Protestant of like, is that really how you feel? Like you think you're really bad and you like are just being covered with this grace. And like, like everything that you do is a sin. Yeah. No matter how nothing. good because you're so rotten. Yeah. That's or what like Luther says. Yeah, you're just going to be bad, which means that you're going to be walking around like the father isn't gonna, even going to see your face. And the father face, that's a profound thing for, at least for me, like God the father wants to look us face to face. And not only that, but we want to look at him face to face. And if we're bad to the core and it's just Jesus that he's looking at or like his grace that's covering over us, but really deep down, we're not good. Like, what does that mean about our relationship with God the Father? Mm-hmm. How is He going to look at me in my in my eyes, in my face? Um, He's just playing and pretend, and so are we. And that, to me, that's why that's why so many people stop practicing their faith is because it seems like the more you, the fact that so many people reflexively respond true, like you said, they're Catholic, but they don't maybe think about it. And that's the most common explanation. And it makes some sense. It's why we punch our steering wheel when we're mad at the driver that cut us off because it's just like, we got to get our anger out somehow. So, Oh, that must be what it's like for God. But it, uh, yeah, you're right. It just, it doesn't line up with why, why people go to say like an impersonal God, like Buddhism or, um, some kind of Eastern mysticism because, that's all about like, I want my body and my heart and my mind to be healthy and peaceful. And mm-hmm. we want inner transformation. Yeah. But the thing is like there, that promises inner transformation, but doesn't, doesn't deliver. Uh, and it's ultimately sort of centered on the self. The true well, transformation but, is, is centered on this other. And it's also kind of this hellish thing of like, cause I, I know and I think every individual knows at some level that they're made for goodness, beauty, and truth. And like we, we desire these things. But what this idea of, of God and life of reality says is like on one level, we know that we're made for those things and we desire those things. But we're, we're incapable of actually being able to receive them. 
So it's like this infinite desire within us and this unattainable goal. And so in that way, there's like this huge chasm that it, I mean, it, yeah, it kind of puts this idea of like, where is my hope here on earth? Where's my hope? No, there must not be, this must be hell. And I must need to wait to get to heaven because I have these things that I desire, but I, I'm saying that I'm not good. And so how can I have goodness? You know, it's all, it's all just rotted interior. Um, and I, so I had a, a buddy over the summer that I was doing army training with, um, I guess two summers ago. And I remember talking to him and this is specifically kind of about like pushing the experience thing, which also makes it deeply personal as well. So it takes the theoretical and puts it like, okay, how, what do you think about this? Does this line up with your own life? And the idea that you're talking about Rob with community, which is so true. Um, and I remember he was telling me like just the very American Protestant idea of we're saved independently. Like it's just this personal relationship with God and, and that's what it comes down to. And I can't wait until my son is old enough to receive Jesus. And like, man, I hope, I'm, yeah, I hope he doesn't die before he can do that. I, well, oh I had gosh. a guy tell me that. Yeah. I had a guy tell me that until he can assent to that. And so of course this raises all these questions, but I'm like, do you really think that I was asking him, like, do you think that you need other people in any way to be saved or anything like that? And he was like, no, like all I really need is just the Bible and, and Jesus and that's it. And so that begs the question, right? It's like, well, where did you come from? Where did you receive your faith? And who wrote Some, the Bible? Because it wasn't Jesus. There's like a bazillion questions. <laughs> there's a bazillion questions. Like, where did you get your faith from? Where do you share your faith? Where's your faith cultivated? You have a family. Are you going to pass your faith on to that family? This idea of like, yeah, the importance, the sacramentality of the body of the person. Absolutely. Like your story with Cappadano, he's there as a person in a body, passing the faith on from person to person. It's not some like amorphous God. That's just him, me and him. No, he works through all of us. He works through each of us as uh, instruments. Um, but he was so convinced of like, no, yeah, this is the way that I live right now because God deemed it this way, but it's not necessary. Like it could, if I was the only person on earth and, you know, it was just me and Jesus, I'd be fine. So like that, that was kind of what, what, what we were talking about. And it was just so removed from reality and both of our own experiences. I don't know if it ever, like if it did anything for him or anything, but it just struck me as like, whoa, what you're saying is so not striking true with me in any way, shape, or form. It was kind of unbelievable mm. coming from a family of 11 where I had I had this total understanding of like everything I have is not – I did nothing to generate myself. Everything that I have has been given to me. And to think in some way that like I could just do all of this on my own and I'm okay just <laughs> – totally independent of everybody else is such an absurd idea for me, which is a, a grace in a big way. But, um, and then the last thing I'll, I'll quit rambling, but do you remember in Peru, Rob? Um, I think it was, yeah, it was Peru with father house. Mm -hmm. Uh, he told us that story. I can't remember who the author of the story was, but it was stressing the idea of saved in community. 
And it was the story of a peasant uh, who I think he passes on, he gives an onion. Oh, it's Dostoevsky. Yeah. Is that Dostoevsky? Yeah. That's okay. That's what I was thinking. And correct me if I tell this story wrong, but I think it's, it emphasizes the idea very, very well. Um, but he, I guess a guy gives an onion. He's not a great guy, but he gives an onion to a very, very poor person to eat, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who's like starving. And uh, I guess when he dies, um, the, that moment is brought as like the moment where this, this uh, trace of goodness within this man, this selfless act, and uh, the angel of God is, chooses that moment and the onion to take him up to heaven with that with that act and so the the picture is like the guy holding onto the onion and the angel holding onto the onion and therefore holding onto the guy and bringing him up to heaven yeah but what happens is like other people start to try to grab onto him to be brought up to heaven with him right and what he ends up doing is like getting upset at these people who are trying to hold on to him and use him to get up to heaven with them and so he starts kind of like trying to beat hit, beat the people off of his legs who are like holding on to him. And what ends up happening is he loses the grip of the onion, trying to make sure no one else is using him to come up to heaven with him. And he falls, he falls all the way down together. Um, and I, I think that's right. Like he doesn't end up going to heaven was kind of the point of the story, but he, um, well, it really was just an onion. That's a pretty nasty meal. If you, especially if you're hungry. It wasn't. I mean, if you had given a turkey, it would like rip the leg off or something. Yeah. But the point there is obviously like God is trying to save us in community. Well, yeah, you're and, not the only one who's coming up. And God is longing to save us. Like that's that's the point. He is longing to transform us way, way more than we want to be saved. He wants to save us. Um. And like he's looking for, it's it's so hard to talk in terms of like going to heaven or going to hell, as places because that's that's not a Catholic thought, either. And uh, but I was just thinking even when you were talking, the I've been meeting with this guy a couple times here. It's been one of the highlights of internship for me because this this guy is just he's really awesome and he he grew up Protestant and he's thinking about joining the church and so he's read over the past few years he's read all of this catholic stuff and just has like a profound faith and really knows his stuff on both sides of the table protestant and catholic theology um and we'll, we've we've talked a lot about specifically the eucharist and uh, i mean in a lot of different we've talked about it in systematic terms of like stuff i could offer him of how do you you know try to get like a little bit of a grasp on it, you know, things that, where did the term transubstantiation come from and how that doesn't sum up the revelation, but in a sense, like Barron's language of the revelation cracked human language and we had to put a term on it to have something to explain to people. Um, But we've also talked about it in maybe more human terms of, I think it was the Father Fransman line of when you love someone, you want to be with them. You know, that's a beautiful explanation for the Eucharist. And this guy, he just, he had a line that really struck me one night. And we were talking about something in that terms. 
And his line was something to the effect of like, you don't know how badly I want that to be true. And so it's this guy longing for the church to be true because he sees the holes that other theologies, other, you know, claims to revelation leave in the human experience. Um, whereas I think we might've been talking about this last week. It, it's similar to that line in bride's head of like, why do you believe all this stuff? Why well, believe it? Because it's wonderful to believe. And, um, again, it that line of his that just struck me of like, you don't know how badly I want that to be true. And so here, I mean, in a lot of ways, like the arguments, quote unquote, the explanations are laid out in front of this guy. And, like, it's really, you know, it's God's initiative now, but he sees it. And I think that's God working in him, certainly. But he sees how important what we are talking about is, and he wants it. That's the point. And so there is, you know, an ascent there, but also, like, just a waiting for God's action. Um, even even this Holy Week, man, I was talking, I gave the little reflection at the communion service this morning and I used Teresa's whole thing of like towards the end of her life. Um, Cause what we're not saying when we're talking about being saved in community, we're not saying that our individual actions or even our individual like personal salvation doesn't matter. Um, it's not that. And I used to talk actually pretty similar to what we're talking about. Um, I used Teresa's whole thing of at the end of her life, and even before then, she was like, she was very overwhelmed with the amount of prayer requests that she had and like these people that she was responsible for. And her response was not to abandon these people. It wasn't to stress either about like all this stuff she had on her plate. Her response was simply to ask Jesus to draw her. And that was her line was Jesus draw me. And because then in her prayer, that she talks about, she says that because I know in drawing me, you will draw others that I love with me. And so at the end of her life, when God had transformed her into a saint, just by letting Jesus draw her, God had drawn others with her. Um, and I was like, that's, that's it, man. That's what, that's what a Catholic soteriology is all all about is letting jesus draw us but with the confidence that it's that that's going to uh to raise others from from the dead so even this holy week you know just to encourage people to um let jesus save you this week like let him die and then rise for you whatever that looks like wherever the most wounded spot is or the spot that hurts the most let him go there and have confidence that in letting him go there that's where the most people most other people are going to be saved does that make sense absolutely mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a great point that's a tremendous point man i've had this i just had a, an experience yesterday that i gotta i i've really felt called to put it on the on the podcast mm. so it's kind of along the same lines of man holy week is just absolutely incredible and the brilliance of the church especially with the liturgy yesterday 
<laughs> we're all outside with palms. <laughs> You're like, yeah, Hosanna in the highest. And then we come in and yell, crucify him in the readings. <laughs> yeah. And like, just to show the flippancy of the human person and uh, to actually experience, to live that out, like in the liturgy, to walk in that way. Um, just brilliant and also bold, bold by the church. Um, so I had a super, it was just a long day yesterday. I had like four Palm Sunday masses and we have six on Sundays. Two of them were in Spanish and it's still a long, it's a long liturgy, you know, and there's like a couple of crazy things that happened, but one of which was my youth group, um, my youth group found out that it was my birthday last week, which no one around here really knew. And I don't know if y'all do this as well, Father Connor, but in the Hispanic culture, um, when it's your birthday, I can't remember what exactly it's called. It's Mañanitas. seriously Mañanitas? Yeah, is it the no. song in the early morning? These the were not Mañanitas. Okay. No. This was like Pastel de Muriendo or something oh. like that. <laughs> Honestly, which means the cake of death or dying, <laughs> like dying cake or something. Um, and so, the tradition that's is so morbid. You're just another year closer to death. So here's your cake. No, this is what they do, man. Yeah, have you not heard of this? No. So, I mean, everybody knows it's coming and like I know it's coming and I'm teaching this CRISPR class, um, which is Christ renews his parish for um, Los Adolescentes. And he, you know, they come in with this cake and I'm, you know, like just got out of mass and about to go to another mass in an hour or so. And they bring in this cake and start singing happy birthday. And I, I know it's coming. I everyone knows it's coming. Everyone pulls out their cell phones <laughs> and they have me blow out the candles. And I'm like, yeah. And I keep everyone at an arm's distance away and blow out the candles. And then I, they're like, yeah, go take a bite of the cake. Mm -hmm. And so I kneel down, I kneel down in front of this cake and I just take a huge bite out of the side. And of course, like the kids just ram my head into this cake, <laughs> like furiously. And then other kids are on the sides of the cake, like tacoing my head in between this cake. <laughs> it was everywhere like q-tips in my ears <laughs> pulling out cake icing whatever and it was like it, it was tough dude it was really tough because the idea for me was am i i know this is gonna happen do i let this happen or what well, how do i <laughs> oh, what do dude, i do what an appropriate thing to have happen on passion sunday <laughs> well you so just, you well, willingly lay down your face mm -hmm. so it gets even better all right it gets even better so then that's like it was a lot of fun but it stinks when people do things that you don't want them to do, but you kind of have to accept it and you feel like disrespected and you feel like, am I even a respectable adult? I don't even know, <laughs> you know? So like all of these existential massive questions are coming up. And, and so then I like bring it to the Lord in prayer and I, I'm like laughing about it and I come back and we have the five and the seven. So then those are the last two masses of the day and they're long masses we go through and it's fine. And then after the seven, you know, it's like nine o'clock and I'm playing around with some of the kids and one girl comes up and she starts doing like the, um, up top, down low in the middle, you're too slow. Like those type deals mm -hmm. with the high fives. And I tell her like, Hey, I know where this is going. 
this better not go where you think it's going to go. Like, don't do this, you know? And we had talked, uh, you know, a couple of times before. And so you could tell that she was comfortable with me, I guess. Like, oh, this is my friend or whatever. And sure enough, <laughs> in space, high fiver in your face, dude. And she smacks me full on in the head, in the face. Like, <laughs> Like, like where it palm. makes you can like smell the, you know what I mean? When you get hit in the nose and you're just like, that sting oh my. happens all through your face. Yeah. Like a palm punch <laughs> up into my nose. This is like a 13 year old girl, you know, and I have my glasses on my head and like my glasses go flying everywhere <laughs> and her and her friend are like, oh yeah. And I'm just sitting there like, what the heck is happening right now? <laughs> did this little girl just smack me in my face, <laughs> you know? And so then I stand there and I'm looking at her like, no way. I don't even know her name. I have no, I don't even, I don't know her name. Don't know her family. Don't know anything about her. Just said hi and passing a couple of times. And I could see her starting to realize like, Too far. Oh, this is not, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, and so I ended up, I bring I bring it to prayer and you know, I what ended up happening for her I'm certain is like she's kind of probably doesn't relate to a lot of people and saw me as like someone being kind to her and just like dove all into it and went too far and so she's probably really afraid of me right now like she did something really bad and Especially I could tell she really was blew hurt. up at her no I didn't I just said like you can't because the like what do you even say to that yeah I want to attack you right now <laughs> <laughs> You just hit me in the face. Like, I think my nose is going to bleed. And I don't know who you are. You don't do that to people. I'm going to, like, I'm an adult is what I'm thinking in my head. I pay bills. I'm a grown man. <laughs> I have a, a, I have a smartphone. <laughs> and so that, that was what happened for me, honestly. I went back and I went into the chapel and I was just thinking, like, why am, why am I doing what I'm doing? It seriously made me ask these huge questions of like, what is, why am I here at this parish? What is the Lord calling me to do? Like, why am I doing this? <laughs> this little girl hit me. That was one. Oh, man. I, it was all very appropriate to, like you said, happen on. Because, yeah, we read about like our Lord getting beat in the face for something he had no business getting hit about. And my feeling of like, what is my mission? Why am I doing this? These huge questions that came up from a little girl, like barely hitting me in the head. And then me like doubting on, not doubting my vocation, but like, what the heck is going on here? Why am I doing this? Uh, all happening, ha happening on Palm Sunday and having my face smashed into this cake and like, people laughing at you and then it's like all over the internet i had some random people come up and be like you look better now that you don't have cake all over your face oh, gosh <laughs> like who yeah. are you i have no clue who you are and <clears throat> to be able to come in and to relate that in prayer to our lord and realize like he yeah what i experienced i'm not like gonna downplay that because it did suck i mean i i really hated getting hit in the face by a little girl and like <laughs> Not being able to say to anything laugh. either. No, I mean, it's, it was funny. I was laughing about it in the chapel, like full on. I was by myself in the chapel thinking, 
this little girl is about to like make me cry from just hitting bullied. me in the head. I got bullied, dude. And the thing is, like, I I don't have anything to do about it. I can't yell at her. I'm not gonna yell at her. Mm-hmm. But just to realize, like, she has she doesn't have social awareness is is what happened, and she realized her mistake. But being able to relate that experience during Holy Week of like, yeah, I have some serious things, especially in regards to um, like wanting people to respect me. Like, uh, I deserve respect. I de- I demand this respect because I'm an adult and I'm a seminarian. They're like, yeah, I'm going to be a priest someday. Uh, that was something that I I needed big time, big mm. time to bring to the Lord, especially at this parish where they they really respect priests so much and they really elevate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, so just hearing what you're saying, Rob, of like, yeah, we have to let the Lord in during this Holy Week and let him save us entirely in these places that are most difficult, most trying, most dark, but need, need saving the most. Like that's where we have to let the Lord go. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Cause it, you could have played it off like, Oh, I just need to get over this. Like whatever. It's like, no man. Yeah. Jesus wants to meet you right there. You know, if it's on, <laughs> if it's on your heart. So, well, it's humiliating. That's it. Yeah. It was, <laughs> It, it's exact. It was totally humiliating and <laughs> like very, um, very emasculating, you mm. know. Mm-hmm. And and there's, I didn't deserve that in any way, and there was nothing that I could really, I mean, I could flip out on her, but that's not the right thing to do. And so just to think about, like I always heard, meditate on the human experiences of our Lord and the Passion. Like to fall and scrape your knee hurts. So what is that like to fall and scrape your knee like with the cross? You know, very heavy. But what is it like to get smacked in the face for nothing? (laughs) And see it coming the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) I should have never played that stupid high five game, dude. I knew it. Like I I just knew it was going to happen. And sure enough, dude. So it was just, it was a great way for the Lord to come down and meet me in this place. I was like, so tired, so didn't want that, so exhausted, and then smack right in the face, dude. Um, yeah, so that was... It was just a big thank you for all that you're doing for them at the parish. There you oh go. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, like this girl. And then, so then I went to the soccer game. I'm a part of this indoor soccer league that one of the groups invited me to. And uh, we had one of our players get in this fight, and they both got kicked out. Like, some dude threw a punch at the back of his head. The game was at, like, 1030 last night. Oh, my gosh. Like, this is the craziest day ever, dude. <laughs> and it's just, like, another day in the parish. Cake smash, smacked in the head by a girl, got in a, got in a street fight in an indoor soccer league with a bunch of Hispanic people, dude. It got crazy over here yesterday, <laughs> man. Like, I get, oh, my gosh, dude. But the Lord, so the Lord during all all this Holy Week, I guess I'm I'm just very excited to have him, yeah, meet me in those places. Yeah, man. Meet me in those places. And the yeah. need to come to beg for those things. Yeah. Of like, yeah, we can take these liturgies and they can just be another thing like this whole week. But to beg for God to come, like realizing our own poverty and our need for that, uh, and to beg him to bust into our lives and, yeah, like, Hey, Mike, give that to me, man. That's a grace. That was a real grace. Getting yeah. hit in the face by a 13-year-old girl 
was a grace. <laughs> <laughs> Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.